listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. All right, well, good morning. God, that's weak. Good morning. Awesome. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Genesis chapter 50 this morning. Genesis chapter 50. If it's your first time with us, my name's uh, Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and on behalf of the pastors and the members of this church, let me just welcome you. Uh, If you are um, with us for the first time and want more information about our church, there's a couple ways you can get connected. Uh, One, we have some cards over here that you can just fill out some information about yourself. Um, We'll be sure to connect with you on your terms, so we're not going to just come knock on your door in the middle of dinner or anything like that. So you can mark on there if you want us to to connect through text or email or whatever. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, not to be confused with our Facebook page. We don't really uh, update our Facebook page that often, but if you want to get connected to our Facebook group, um, you get all sorts of updates and information, things like that. Um, You can connect with other people in the church. And um, of course, you can also email me if you have any questions or uh, want any information. My email is jared at fellowshipparagold.com and uh, would love to connect with you, answer any questions that you might have. But our hope is that you move from feeling like guests to feeling like family as soon as possible. Um, We really are delighted um, that you chose to be here this Sunday morning, and our heart is that you leave filled with joy over who Christ is and and what he has done for you. So Genesis chapter 50 is where we're going to be. We're going to read in verses 15 down to verse 20. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we do give away free Bibles on the welcome table out front. You can grab one of those. That's our uh, gift to you. If you have about five or six of them you've collected, just bring a few back and uh, we'll give those away as well. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. This is God's word. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word that is active and living and sharper than a two-edged sword. We ask that you will take it now through the power of your Holy Spirit and that it will be more than just words on a page. I pray that you take these words and that you drive them deep into our hearts and that you make this not only true news, but good news to us this morning, that it will transform each person here from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Anyone in here ever had uh, cupcakes from Gigi's? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of you have had cupcakes from Gigi's. Um, Gigi's cupcakes are amazing. I was, I mean, they're ridiculously good. They really are. If you've never had them, you're missing out. And I know there are some of you here that are like, yeah, but they're so bad for you, Jared. Do you know how much sugar is in all of those? And I don't really care, okay? <laughs> like, 
here's my motto about food. What's bad today is good tomorrow. Right? I mean, do you not remember five years ago, they were saying that if you ate bacon and butter, you might as well be making a death wish. You remember those days? And now if you eat bacon and butter, you're winning at life. Like you really are, which I think we should all just stop and celebrate today. Isn't that awesome? That is the grace of God that we can leave here, go eat a stick of butter and a pound of bacon and feel good about ourselves. That's awesome. Um, and so I don't, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe the, the cupcakes are bad. And also, you know, another thing, I look at Randy too, and I'm thinking, this guy basically puts rocket fuel in his body every day. And he's like on top of the world every time you see him. So it's like, is this really that big of a deal if we eat sugar? Um, there you go. And so, um, it, you know, I'm thinking about these cupcakes and whether or not they're on the same level of kale in five years or not, I don't really care. They're amazing. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, me along with my wife and Luke and Donna, we stopped at Gigi's to get a cupcake. And if you've ever gone into Gigi's, it's an experience. I mean, it's like you have this wide variety of cupcakes to choose from. And we're just sitting there like kids at a candy store, like trying to decide which cupcake to choose. And so we finally get our cupcakes and we begin to dive into these things. And I'm telling you, like we were moaning with excitement. Like it was probably awkward for the customers, but we didn't care. Like it was amazing. And my wife, I I told her, I was like, you've smiled bigger at Gigi's than you did on our wedding day. Like, I don't know what to think about that, but, but it's, it's wonderful. I mean, the icing melts in your mouth. Uh, the cupcakes are moist and delicious. And I mean, while you're eating them, you're like, you're torn between, do I devour this thing or do I savor it? Because I just spent $4 on this cupcake. Uh, but, you know, as I was eating it, I was thinking how impressive it is that, that the people who make and bake these things are able to take some common household ingredients uh, that by themselves are disgusting, like flour, and baking soda, and egg yolks, and they are able to turn them into something that is so delicious and so good. And I began to think about that in light of the story that we're going to look at, the story of Joseph this morning, and I was reminded that our God is in the business of doing the exact same thing. And the fact that he's able to take circumstances in our life that by themselves we would not want, we would not ask for, and yet he is able to turn them into something that is absolutely beautiful, that is absolutely good. And you see, it's important that, that we all get that this morning. Because I would say in my 11 years of, of being a minister in the religious South, the, the, big, the biggest obstacle people have to God are not intellectual obstacles, but they're personal obstacles. I mean, even this past week, I had a young woman in my office for counseling that said to me, the reason I have a hard time believing in God is because if there is a God who is in control and a God who is loving, how come he's allowed so much bad stuff to happen in my life? And how do you explain that one, preacher? Right? And I would say, like, this isn't just something that people outside the church struggle with. If we can be honest, people inside the church struggle with this. Right? I mean, I know, God, what you say in your word. I know you say you're sovereign. I know you say you love me. But why in the world, if that is true, does this stuff keep coming into my life? What do you say about that, God? And the good news is about the story of Joseph is he, this is not a story that evades that question, but actually it tackles it head on. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at it from Genesis chapter 50. But before we do that, I need to give you a little bit of a context. You need to know the background of this man, Joseph. Joseph was actually born into what we would consider a pretty dysfunctional family. Uh, His father, Jacob, was a deceiver. Uh, He actually, whenever he was younger, tricked his own dad into giving him his brother's inheritance because he was so selfish and cared more about his father's stuff than his father, right? He was very much about himself. And when he grew, grew up, 
when he became older, he got married. And he married three different women. And I'm not just talking about like got married and then got divorced, got married and then got divorced, got married and got divorced. I mean, he had three wives at one time. One of which was this woman, Rachel, who just so happened to be his cousin. Okay, sounds a little bit like Arkansas in some ways. Right? And Rachel was actually Joseph's mother. And so Joseph grew up in this household where he had ten half-brothers, one full brother and one half-sister. And out of all of the kids, the Bible says Joseph was his daddy's favorite kid. And so the rest of his siblings hated him because of this. I mean, they absolutely hated him because of the favoritism that Jacob showed to Joseph. And so one day, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, are out doing their thing, and they see Joseph walking up to him. You know, and they're like, here comes that joker who thinks he's all that. Like, Joseph, what do you got on your mind, dude? What do you want? Spit it out. We can tell something's on your mind. And Joseph, for whatever reason, decides to tell them this dream that he had that God had given him that says, hey, one day I'm going to be in power over all of you. I'm going to be in authority over all of my brothers. And because they already hated him, they hear this story, they get even more upset with him, and they say, you know what we got to do with this cat? We need to get him out of our lives. And so what do they decide to do? They actually sell him in slavery to the Midianites, who just so happen to be their distant relatives. So I don't know what family you came from this morning, but I bet it wasn't quite this dysfunctional. I mean, at least you've not had brothers who sold you in slavery to your cousins because they hated you so much they wanted to see you out of their lives. Can you imagine the feelings of that? The feelings of betrayal, the feelings of pain, the feelings of of hurt that would come with that. Joseph is sold into slavery by his own family, but in Genesis 37 2, the Bible says that despite all of this, that the Lord was with Joseph. And because he was with Joseph, what happens is eventually he's bought by this man named Potiphar, who was a who was a, a man of high power. He's bought by Potiphar. And because the Lord is with him, he finds favor in Potiphar's eyes. So Potiphar puts him over his entire household. He says, I trust you to oversee all of this. And that may not seem like a big deal to you. Like if your house is anything like mine, I mean, I live in a house like 1,500 square feet. So it's like if I put you over my household, you're like, thanks, I'm over two couches and a dog. Awesome. What a privilege. But Potiphar's house was massive. I mean, it put any house in Paragold to shame. And he says to Joseph, I want you to oversee every single bit of this. But again, things begin to go bad for Joseph. But as you will see, as we continue in this story, here's something that we need to hear this morning. Because the Lord was with Joseph, we'll see that God is going to use all the bad in his life for the good. And I want you to hear that because this morning, maybe there are some of you that you're a little upset with God. Maybe your relationship with God is growing distant. And it's because of failed expectations, or it's because maybe God has not responded in a way that you thought he would. And listen, if you reject God because you do not see how he is taking good things, or taking bad things and turning them into good things, if you reject him because you can't see that, you will find out, as we see in the story, you're making one of the worst mistakes in your life. Joseph is bought by Potiphar. Things seem to be going well, but again, very quickly, we see that they begin to fall apart. One day he's out, and I don't know if Joseph did CrossFit. He must have, because it says that Potiphar's wife is just walking around, and she looks, and apparently, like, I don't know if he had his shirt off, and he's working, and he's sweating, and the sun's, like, you know, shining on him just right, and it's like this moment. So, <laughs> this, my mind happens when I'm reading the Bible. It's like, 
Anyways, he's out doing his thing. You got you to put yourself in the moment, guys. Um, and Potiphar's wife walks by and she sees him and she says, I want that man right now. And so because Joseph is a slave, Potiphar's wife says, hey, Joseph, come here. And so he runs up like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, whatever you want, anything you want. And you know what she says to him? She says, I'll tell you what I want. I want you. I want you to go up to my bedroom right now with me and I want us to sleep together. Now, again, don't remove yourself emotionally from this situation. Joseph at this point is probably around 17 years old, raging hormones, and an older and probably beautiful woman says to him, I want you to sleep with me and no one will know about it. It will be our little secret. How tempting do you think it is for him to say, you got it? I think most 17-year-old dudes would begin to justify why they should do this. No one's going to know about it. Therefore, probably it's not going to hurt anybody. Right? And after all, <laughs> I am her slave. She is my master. So I guess I should be obedient to her so I don't lose my job. I think most dudes would say, absolutely, I will jump on this opportunity, but that's not what Joseph does. Joseph does something beautiful. It says in the Bible that even in the midst of his youthful bliss, even whenever he has an opportunity to tickle his flesh, he says to her, how could I commit this great sin against my God? He has an opportunity to pursue this instant gratification, and he says, no, what I want to live for is for the glory of God. I want to live for the glory of the God who has allowed me to be in this situation no, I refuse to sleep with you. I refuse to take your invitation. And as a result, do you know what happens? Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of rape. And because her husband is in a position of power in their city, guess what happens to Joseph? He's thrown into prison for something he didn't even do. <laughs> but the Bible says because the Lord was with him in Genesis 39, 21, he climbed to a power of prominence. And he was now put in a position where he would oversee the entire prison. And one day while he's doing his work, this cupbearer comes up to Joseph and says to him, Hey, Joseph, man, I heard you can interpret dreams. Can you tell me what this dream is about? And so he shares this dream with Joseph. And Joseph says, Yeah, here's what it's about. In three days, you're going to have an opportunity to get out of prison and be a cupbearer for Pharaoh. And of course, the cupbearer's excited. He's like, sweet, this is going to be great. Like, I'm going to get out of prison. And so he's walking out all excited. And Joseph's like, whoa, 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 whoa. hey, hang on. Before you leave, all I ask is that you remember your boy, right? Like, like, remember me. Like, when you get into Pharaoh's good grace, like, tell him I was wrongfully accused so he can get me out of here and I can be free. And the cupbearer's like, oh, absolutely, Joseph. Like, yeah, man, like, you're my boy. I will do that for you, anything. But what do you think happens? He gets out of prison, completely forgets about Joseph. And can you just imagine again the feelings of hopelessness and frustration that you would experience if you were in Joseph's place. Maybe some of you are even there this morning. And I'm, or you've been there. I mean, have you ever had those feelings? I mean, let's just be honest. Where you're thinking, God, I am literally trying to do everything right. I'm trying to be faithful with my finances. I'm trying to make disciples. I'm fighting against my sin. I'm trying to be a man or woman of integrity when no one else is looking. I'm trying to love and lead my spouse well. I'm trying to love and lead my family well. And nothing seems to be working, God. Ever been there? I'm sure Joseph is beginning to have some of these feelings. But the Bible says, because the Lord was with Joseph, one day Pharaoh has a dream. And so cupbearer hears about this dream, hears that Pharaoh wants it interpreted. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer says, oh, wait a minute. I just remember this guy named Joseph. He can interpret dreams. I met him in prison. And so Pharaoh says, bring him to me. And so he stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, hey, man, I hear that you can interpret dreams. 
Joseph says, yeah, God's given me the ability. So Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph says to him, well, here's what this means. It means that our whole region is going to experience a famine, and we need to store up a bunch of food, because if we're going to survive, we're going to have to have this, this stockpile of food when the famine hits. And because God gave Joseph favor, or gave Joseph favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, Pharaoh in Genesis 41-41 puts Joseph over the entire land of Egypt. He's now at this point, like second in command, to Pharaoh only. And it is in this place we come to Genesis 50. And who does Joseph have an encounter with? The very brothers who sold him into slavery. The brothers who said to them, we basically wish you were dead. And here's Joseph in this position of power. He can do with these guys whatever he wants. And the brothers know this, so they're terrified. They're scared for their lives. And look what happens. We'll pick up in verse 18. His brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. You better say that. Verse 19, what is Joseph going to do? He says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. I think we should stop here for a moment. And I think we should all come to something, a clear understanding. Putting ourselves in the place of God is the root of all of our problems. That's what got us into this mess in Genesis 3, right? I mean, you remember the story. God creates Adam and Eve, and he says, you just got one command. I mean, you imagine how little their Bible is? You could fit it in a fortune cookie. You got one command. That's it. That's it. You know, you can have all this stuff. Just don't eat of this tree. That's all, I'm, that's all I say. Don't eat of this tree. You can't even get a chapter... And the serpent sneaks into their life and says, hey, look, I, you know, God's not the end of that tree, but you understand the reason he doesn't want you to have this, right? It's because he doesn't really want what's good for you. And so you should eat of this tree. And when you eat of it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to know good and evil, right? You're going to be like God, right? You're going to be able to put yourself in his place and decide for yourself what you think you should do with your life. And Adam and Eve, tempted by the serpent, says, we want to decide what's right and wrong. We want to put ourselves in the place of God. And so they eat of the tree, God said not to eat of, and immediately sin enters into the world and fractures absolutely everything. And you see, the same is true for our life every day. Guys, look right at me. If you think the enemy is not in your ear every day saying, choose for yourself what's right and wrong, you're deceived. Every single day we have an enemy that is coming into the ear of our spouse, of our children, of us, who is saying... You decide for yourself what's right and wrong. And, and, and listen, it's so subtle how this happens. Like, I, I know there are some sins that are really big and really obvious, and we know they're very destructive. Right? It's, it's very clear. There are some sins like, yeah, clearly I should not do these things. For example, if I, left this, I leave the cinema here in a little bit after we get in preaching, and I go to head home to eat lunch, and somebody jumps out from some bushes, and is like, hey, man, you want some black tar heroin? Right? Like, do you think I'm going to be tempted? No. I'm going to look and be like, dude, my kids with me? Like, I'm a pastor. I've got a family. Like, that's illegal. And plus, I know how destructive it is. I've seen its destruction in the lives of people. Like, it's not tempting at all in that moment to say, I think I'll choose for myself what's right and wrong. Like, I know that's bad. I need to stay away from it. But yet there are other things, many things in our life that are far more subtle and I would say can be just as destructive. It just might take a longer path to get to that destruction. I'll give you an example of my personal life. 
Um, just this past Saturday, not yesterday, but the day, uh, the week before, Saturday before, um, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get our grill out to Labor Park. Our missional community cooks at Labor Park, and and usually I have to get a trailer, someone to come by, because you know obviously I can't put it in the Hondo Accord, and so uh, I have to ask someone to get a trailer. We 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 load it up on Jody's trailer. Someone comes in a truck. We put it in the back of a truck, and it just all of a sudden hit me. You know, like this is this gets in the way. You know what I need? I need a truck. I need a truck. And I begin to all immediately justify my mind, like, look, I haven't had car payments in forever. I'm good with our money. And we have some student loan debt and a house payment, and that's it. We don't have, you know, like, we're, we're doing good financially. We're generous. You know, like, I, I think I need to get a truck. And after all, it is for the kingdom of God, right? And so Labor Park and the salvations of the people in that part of the city depend on me getting a truck. And so I begin to get on Craigslist and look for a truck, and Megan walks in. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, just looking for a truck. You know, like, what are you doing? And uh, begin to text a guy in Little Rock who's a car dealer, like, hey, man, I got to get the biggest bang for my buck, you know. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing all my research. I'm getting on consumer reports. And all of a sudden, you know what happened. Holy Spirit convicts me. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm talking to all these people about a truck. And I've yet to go to God about what I should do about a truck. And I'm not saying it's wrong for you to get a truck. Go get you a truck if you want to get a truck. But for me, do you want to know why I did not go to God and ask him what he thought about a truck? Because I was afraid he'd say, you really don't need that truck. <laughs> and because I wanted to do what I thought was right in that moment, I said, ah, I just won't ask God. We'll just kind of leave him out of the equation. In that moment, you see what I'm doing? I'm putting myself in the place of God. I know you look and you say, Jared, well, it's not heroin. Good grief, don't be so hard on yourself. But guys, don't you understand that the same sin that would lead somebody to want to do something like heroin is the same sin that would lead me to want to get a truck when I know God's calling me not to get a truck. And the last time I checked, what God cares the most about is not what we do on the outside, but it's about what goes on inside of our hearts. And in that moment, what I wanted was I wanted, Jared Pitney wanted to be the king of my life. I wanted to decide what was best for me. And when we look at the garden, what we're reminded is the fastest way to become like Satan is trying to put ourselves in the place of God. And yet it's so subtle. It's something that we can do every single day. Joseph here has an opportunity to put himself in the place of God. He has an opportunity to get revenge on his brothers for all that they have done. But what does he do? Rather than crushing his brothers, he shows them mercy. And the whole reason that he shows them mercy is why? It's because rather than viewing the situation through human eyes, he looks at this from God's perspective. Rather than just looking at his situation on the ground level, he's able to sit back and look at it from a 30,000 foot view and it changes absolutely everything. I told you a few weeks ago when Megan and I were in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we're, we were there like working with some uh, church planters and they wanted us to drive around the city to figure out what the, the, the city looks like so that we can understand better, maybe a better strategy for how to reach the people they're trying to reach. And so they're driving us through all these uh, streets, taking us around all these corners, trying to look at the city. But it wasn't until we got up on the hill and we were overlooking the entire city that I really get a full picture of what was going on. See, down in the valley... It's not easy to see everything, is it? And the problem is, as Christians, we live in the valley. And so what happens when you live in the valley, when you just see things from a human perspective? Troubles are nothing more than troubles. Closed doors are just closed doors. Sickness is just sickness. 
when you live down in the valley, when things are going good, what do we think? Well, God's good. And when things are going bad, what do we think? Well, clearly God is bad. Joseph says, I don't live down in the valley. I'm looking at this situation from God's perspective. And look what happens. You've got to check this out. If you're asleep, wake up, look at verse 20. It is such a theologically rich passage that will change your life if it will fall into your heart. Joseph is looking from God's perspective, and this is what he says to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You can just look at that verse again. As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but that same evil you meant against me, God meant it for good so that many people can be kept alive. You see what's happening here? Joseph is looking at the situation through God's eyes. He knows that God sees the whole picture, and he says, God has not had his back turned. He knows everything that has been going on, and he is working it together for good. He is bringing life out of what should be death. He looks at his brothers and he says, I'm not mad at you. I'm not bitter with you. Yes, you sinned against me. Yes, you committed an evil act. But the whole time that you were trying to hurt me, God was using this to help me and to help so many others. What you meant for evil, God, he says, meant for good. And here's the good news today. This is not just some isolated event in the Old Testament. You look at this and say, yeah, well, that's great that he did it for Joseph, but what about me? And the Bible says clearly in Romans 8, 28, that God does the same thing for you. And we know that for those who love God, for those of you who place your trust and faith in God and who he is and what he has done for you in Jesus, for the professing Christian, those who love God, what does it say next? Some things might work together for your good. Is that what it says? For we know that for those who, are, who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you realize how powerful that is? That's what you call a game changer. I mean, I want you to just think about the significance of this. What this means is look right at me. No matter what comes into your life, God is always, always, always working it together for your good. Always. Is that good news this morning? Like, some of you are looking at me like, eh, show me something more. One person thinks it's cool. Awesome. Good. Sometimes I wonder when I preach if people are like, eh, I don't even know if I believe that. I mean, maybe not. And so, and if you don't, we're, you're welcome here as well. But God, like, that is the greatest news on the planet to me. That whatever comes into my life, God is going to use it for my good? Are you kidding me? I deserve hell, and yet he's going to take no matter what happens, and he's going to use it ultimately for my benefit. And, and, and here's maybe an example. Molly, can I use you as an example? Awesome. I knew I could. What's that? I know you don't. That's a, um, I know that Molly, like many other outstanding teens in our church cares about her grades and she is that true <laughs> maybe a little bit um she cares about her grades and she wants to make good grades and she wants to be able to get into a good college and probably helps to get a scholarship so unlike so many of the rest of us won't have millions of dollars in student loan debt right 
What this verse just said, though, is think about how crazy this is. She could fail the rest of the test throughout the year, could miss out on a college scholarship. Therefore, you get nervous just thinking about it? <laughs> the mob saying, don't say this. Bad example. But the truth is this. The truth is this. And, and this, is, this is great for parents to hear as well. She could fail the rest of her tests, not get a college scholarship, not get into a good college, and therefore have thousands upon thousands of dollars of student loan, and God is absolutely going to use that for her good. That's crazy. That's crazy. And I'm going to take it a step further. This might make some of you uncomfortable. Not only can God, and not only will God, use failed tests for his good, he will also use our failed attempts at obedience as good as well. In other words, he will even use our sin for our good. Say, well, wait a minute, Jared, I don't don't know about that. Well, let's just think about Joseph's daddy, Jacob. Jacob deceives his own dad, deceives his brother, because that his whole life goes into turmoil, right? And because of the turmoil he was in, he met his future wife, Rachel. And because he met Rachel, they had the kids that they had. And because he had the kids they had, eventually Jesus Christ ascended through his line to save the world. Wait a minute, Jared, hang on now, hang on. Are you saying this morning that it is okay for us to sin? Absolutely not. Jacob should not have sinned. He did sin, and because of that, he experienced a lot of pain in his life. Okay, well, what are you saying then? At least, Jared, would you admit this? Because Jacob sinned, his life was on plan B forever, right? Well, I highly doubt Jesus Christ was plan B. point is just this, guys. There is nothing you can do if you are a Christian to put your life on plan B this morning. How good of news is that for some of us with the backgrounds that we've had? For the present life that we live. There is nothing you can do to put yourself on plan B. And some of you need to hear that because, for one, you really believe that your life is never going to be as good as it could have been because of the terrible mistakes you made in your past. There are some of you in here that that maybe you have some big decisions to make, but you are scared to death. You are paralyzed in God's sovereignty when you should move forward in confidence of God's sovereignty. Like, listen, guys, if this is true, that that making mistakes could put us on plan B, don't you know some knucklehead screwed this up for us thousands of years ago? Like, we're all on plan D, E, F, G. I mean, like, right? God is just that big, and he is that good. Nothing Christian that you do can ultimately ruin your life. Nothing. And there's nothing that can happen to you that ultimately will ruin your life. When you sin, you will experience pain. You will experience brokenness. When other people sin, you will experience pain and brokenness because of this. But even though God is not the author of evil, this passage tells us that he will use even evil, even brokenness for our good and his glory. Amen? Amen. Maybe some of you that are still kind of doubters or kind of these linear thinkers, I'm super too logical for this. Let me just give you a personal example that will involve all of us. You know why you're here this morning in this cinema? Because a few years ago, God planted in my heart a desire to plant this church. And hopefully it's been a blessing to a lot of people in this city and maybe even a blessing to you. You know why I had a desire to plant this church in this city? Because a few years before that, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was a part of a church that was a lot like this. And I thought, man, this is what it means to be the church, and I want to see a church like this in my hometown. 
You know why I was at that church in Louisville? Because I was in seminary in Louisville, working on my master's in theology. You know why I was there? Because I was on staff at First Baptist Church, and the pastor of First Baptist Church pulled some strings and was able to get me into the seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. You know why I was at First Baptist Church? I was there because a few years before that, my dad was pastoring a church, and because of a lot of sin on a lot of different sides, a lot of different people, the church split. It's a really ugly split, and the church, the, the pastor from First Baptist Church came and ministered to my father and several other people. He got to know me, found out that I'd started a college ministry recently, and said, hey, I just want to pay you to keep doing what you're doing once you come on staff at First Baptist. You know why I started a college ministry? Because I'd just recently become a Christian. And you know why I'd become a Christian? Because there was a girl that I worshipped that became my God, and eventually my God said bye-bye, and it sent me into depression. And rather than listen to the advice of the Christians around me, I ran from my problems, I ran from my family, I ran from my friends. I moved to Conway, went to the University of uh, Conway, started dating another girl uh, that was there in Conway. That fell apart as well, sent me into a deep depression. And it was in my depression, when I was wondering what the purpose of life is, feeling like I'd screwed everything up, God crowded my space and he saved me. And I just wanted other people to meet the same Jesus that I'd met. Now, What's the point of all that? Why did I share that? Because what that means is, listen, God used my dad's church split, two girls breaking my heart, and a stupid decision in 2003 to drop out of college for you (laughs) and to bless other people in this city. Christian, you cannot jack things up so bad that your life is put on plan B from here on out. God is in the business of taking even the awful things of this life that we would never ask for, that standing by themselves look so terrible, and he is able to use them for our good. It's what we learn in the life of of Joseph, and ultimately, it's what we see revealed more clearly in the resurrection, or the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Joseph used his power to rescue a sinful people from a physical famine, Jesus emptied himself of his godlike power and used his life to rescue us from a spiritual famine. Just as Joseph would be accused of doing a wrong that he didn't do and through his suffering would be able to feed people, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life we could never live. He went to a cross and would be treated as a criminal and through his suffering he would use that to free people. Just as God used the evil events in Joseph's life to work out things for the good of a nation, God used the evil events in the life of Jesus to work out things for the good of an entire world. And there's a lot of different verses that we could point to, but I'll share just one out of Acts chapter 4, 27 and 28. I think we have it on the screen for you. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed... Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your plan had predestined to take place. If you would have been at the foot of the cross when Jesus was suffering and dying, you would have said, Evil's winning. God is out of control. He's up there wringing his hands, saying, Oh, I didn't know it would come to this. What am I going to do? Actually, the Bible says. It was God working through Herod and Pilate and even other sinful men using their evil acts to ensure Christ was crucified so that you and I could have life. Some of you are going through pain right now and suffering. If you're not, you will. And I cannot tell you exactly why it is happening 
on this side of heaven, we may not ever know, but one thing we know is not true. When we look at the cross, we know that our suffering does not mean that God does not love us, and we know it doesn't mean that he's not in control. The reality is, God, Christian, is using every single thing that has happened to you. Your broken marriages, your lost jobs, your stupid decisions, your bad financial decisions. I mean, he is using it all for your good. That's what we learn through this story and we see ultimately revealed in Jesus. Maybe you are one of these people who have sat here and you've wondered this question, why does bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why does bad things happen to good people? What the Bible tells us is actually that only happened once in all of human history. Whenever Jesus Christ, who is good, right, and perfect, went and died a death that all of us deserve to die for our sin. Whenever he went and he took the wrath reserved for us so that we could receive his righteousness and ultimately stand before God, holy and blameless and accepted. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example that God will take the evil that is done to you and even the evil you commit. He will take all of the, 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 the jacked up stuff in our life and ultimately he will use it for our good and his glory. If you claim to be a Christian this morning, look right at me, we're, we're closing. If you claim to be a Christian, apply this to your life today. Apply this to your business. Apply this to your marriage. Apply this to whatever situation is going in your life. There is nothing else that will give you more joy and more peace than this. If you are not a Christian, let me encourage you where you are to go to Jesus. Go to Jesus with your doubts. Go to him with your fears. Go to him with your questions. Go to him with your sins and know that no matter how big of a mess you are in, no matter how bleak your circumstances look, only Jesus can make sense of all of that. And only he can fully redeem and restore the most broken lives. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. And as our band comes forward and those preparing the elements come forward, I want to pray for you. And then we'll respond with a song. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for each person that is here today. I know that none of us are here by accident. There are some who are here who do not trust you because they do not know you. Holy Spirit, change that right now. We ask you to invade the hearts of people who are here, who are rebelling against you, who are putting themselves in your place or attempting to do so and thinking all will go well. Please, Father, open their eyes to see that you are best as the ruler of our life. I pray for each person here who feels like maybe they have screwed up their life beyond repair. I pray that you will free them from guilt, free them from shame, give them hope that is rooted in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.